today is the 1st of November, the fifth day of the retreat. Yesterday there was a question, why is the mind not in the present moment? It's because the mind likes to think, likes to proliferate about the past, which is gone already, about the future, which is yet to come. And that results in the present, that mindfulness isn't there. As the mind is chasing after the past, after things that it liked, that brought it happiness in order to feel happy again. The mind also chases after uh, things that it disliked, then it feel that it felt unhappy about, and it feels unhappy again. The things that brought up worry, or things that bring up worry about the future and make the mind agitated and troubled. And so this is something that happens to everyone, to all people, to all minds. It's like this. And if we just let this go naturally, and this happens like this all the time, and if it becomes more and more it gets more and more like this. It can reach the point where we can't eat, we can't sleep, or some people eat more than usual. This can lead to health problems, health of the body, health of the mind. The sense of self increases, the mindfulness gets weaker, delusion increases, and the mind suffers more. So we have to train in a kamatana, a meditation object. So we train in a kamatana to bring the mind to have mindfulness in the present. And we have effort in this, we have right effort, and perseverance, energy and effort in order to, to not let the mind get lost in thinking and proliferating about the past and future to bring the mind into the present in order to see all presently arisen states arising in front of oneself, to see them clearly and lucidly such that the mind does not waver. And the Buddha taught to do this, to see presently arisen states. In that way we can see the truth. And if we don't see the truth, we don't see the Dhamma, it's because the past and future are covering up the mind. The past is the cause, the present is the result. The present is the cause, the future is the result. So we see that the present is both the cause and the result, the cause of the future and the result of the past. So therefore we practice and train to watch the in-breath with boot and the out-breath with do. And if we're not yet peaceful from doing that, we can chant. We chant with mindfulness. We don't chant too quickly, we don't chant too slowly, but we chant with mindfulness. We chant whichever chant we like. We chant that one to bring the mind to a feeling of fullness and ease, to a point of collectedness and samadhi the mind can feel rapture and happiness and samadhi arises bit by bit.
So we do this often, we do this frequently. And if we do like this and the samadhi still isn't there, the mind still isn't peaceful and collected, then we can contemplate that these lives of ours are close to their end. We can think that there's a war coming and in seven days it'll reach us and that we must die and that we think, well, are we worried about this or will we worry? Will we, there's no use in worrying because we must die. So thinking of the past can't help. The future is yet to come. Life is uncertain. Death is certain. So we contemplate death and this can bring the mind to peace and collectedness. In the world we see uh, old people, sick people, dead people. We recollect that, we bring it to mind. We see that life is uncertain, that the body must change, the body must degrade. Old age, sickness and death are normal. There's no escape from it. We contemplate like this. We contemplate in such a way that the mind isn't sad or low, but we contemplate in order to give rise to wisdom, in order to abandon worry and concern, in order to abandon clinging. And if we have strong aversion, strong dosa, we think that we must die. And given that, why should we be angry? Why? Why be angry given that we must die? The one that we're angry at doesn't know that we're angry with him. And that very anger just burns our own hearts and makes our hearts sad and low and unhappy. And if we die in that low, unhappy state, we can go to a woeful plane of existence, to a bad place. So it's better to think of merit and goodness better to bring our minds to ease and relaxation and peace, to bring the mind to joy. So we can think of death. This is a method of training in mindfulness to bring about peace and samadhi. So we can use contemplation in this way. We can also contemplate that these bodies of ours have the in and out breathing if the breath doesn't go in or the breath doesn't go out, the body degrades and passes away right there. So we have the sense of self, of me and mine, of clinging, of conceit, attachment to views, feeling that one has a lot or one has more than others, has more praise, higher status, more fame, more pleasure, more wealth, and so on, more mindfulness and wisdom. But all of these things that one may think that one has that can't prevent death, all beings must die. And having died, all beings are the same like that. So why should we have views in conceit? Why should we look down or hurt or have conflict with others? Because we've all been born and therefore we all have old age, sickness and death, all the same. So therefore we cultivate loving-kindness. We should cultivate metta, loving-kindness, not to wish ill-will, not to wish hurt or harm on any being, 
but to cultivate a mind of loving-kindness. This is another method to bring the mind to peace and collectedness. And some of the benefits of loving-kindness practice are that one sleeps with happiness and ease, one wakes with a bright and cheerful face, one is able to escape from danger, one is loved by humans and devas. And so this cultivation of loving-kindness has a lot of benefit. So we can take a look at our own character type and see if we're angry a lot, and therefore we should do loving-kindness meditation a lot to make that our the object of our mind, our kamatana. And if our mind is lost often or deluded often, we can use the recollection of death. And for one with wisdom, they can contemplate emptiness, contemplate all materiality, all mentality, all rupa and nama as empty. That materiality is emptiness. We separate out these natural elements, earth, air, fire, and water, separate out these khandas, material form, feeling, perception, mental formations, consciousness. And we see that in truth there's no form, there's no materiality there. We separate it out and we see that there's nothing there at all. There's nothing there. These natural elements that the body is composed of, that all materiality is composed of, they're all empty. And there's no materiality, it's all empty. So we see that form is the same as emptiness. It's the same, and emptiness is form. That form is emptiness, and emptiness is emptiness. So we can say that form is emptiness, emptiness is form, Emptiness is emptiness. It's all, it's the same like that. It's all not self. So if we have wisdom, we can contemplate like this, contemplate that everything is empty. I had a nimitta once, a vision of meeting with an abbot, a very prominent or big abbot at a Chinese monastery. And he had 500 monks there at his monastery. And I was, had gone there for three days, but after that point I had to ask permission from the abbot to stay. And Venerable Ajahn Chah spread his loving-kindness to me uh, first before this meeting with the abbot, because my own spiritual virtues, my own parami, couldn't uh, compete with this abbot, with this situation to fight in terms of wisdom. So I bowed to the abbot and he knocked on his head and there was a loud sound like a bell, like a ding, ding, ding. And the meaning of this was, oh, does your brain have any wisdom? If it has wisdom, that it'll make this sound like ding, 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 like a bell. But if there's no wisdom, it'll just make a dull sound like knocking on uh, wood or something like that. But if there's wisdom, it'll make a, a nice, loud, clear sound. So he sat there still, and he asked me all things. That was the question he asked. He asked all things like that. 
And so you look at rupa and nama, materiality and mentality, these five khandhas of form, uh, feeling, perception, formations, and consciousness. It's just like we chant every day that the Buddha taught about these five khandhas, that all 84,000 dhamma teachings that the Buddha gave, they all come together in materiality and mentality are impermanent, suffering and not self. So given that it's like this, we shouldn't cling to them. If we cling to them, this will result in suffering. So if we have wisdom, we don't cling, then we don't suffer. So therefore we see that suffering arises based on a cause, and the end of suffering arises based on a cause as well. So all dhammas arise based on causes, and the Buddha taught those causes and the ending of them. This is the teaching that Venerable Asaji gave to Venerable Sariputta. And upon hearing this teaching, Venerable Sariputta realized stream entry. All dhammas arise based on a cause, and the Buddha taught those causes and the cessation of them. So this is about the Four Noble Truths. So this, the abbot, he asked me all things, and I answered, em emptiness, they're all empty. <clears throat> and so the abbot asked, what is emptiness? And the answer is, emptiness is emptiness. But I answered, emptiness is Buddha. And the Buddha is the one who knows, the wakeful one, the joyful one. So we see that the Buddha is in all things. Emptiness is in all things. So all things are Buddha. So if we have wisdom, we can contemplate, use this wisdom, to contemplate that all things are empty. There's no me and mine, you or yours, to be found, no self there. So why should we be angry? There's no one there to be angry with. Just like right now, there's one who's speaking, and there are those who are listening. But really, there's, there's no one there speaking, and there's no one there listening, it's just using these four natural elements to communicate, to conceive of a speaker and a listener. But really, there's, there's no one giving a talk, and there's no one listening to the talk. And say it's the sankaras proliferating in a wholesome way, and we're setting our hearts in a wholesome way to listen. But if we look on a deeper level, then there's, we see that the mind is not self, there's no self to be found. Both the one giving the talk and the one listening, it's all empty. So this is using wisdom to train the mind to bring about samadhi, peace and collectedness. So we can contemplate these four elements of earth, air, fire and water as empty can separate them out, see them degrade and disintegrate, and there's no four elements there anymore. It's all emptiness. So one with wisdom can contemplate like this, can contemplate, can also contemplate the hair of the head, hair of the body, nails, teeth, and skin, these five uh, parts of the body, that they're all earth element, 
They all degrade and pass away. There's no self, no me or mine to be found there. And contemplating like this can give rise to samadhi and peace. So we see the body degrade and disintegrate, then knowing arises, wisdom arises through mental cultivation, through bhavana. This is something that's amazing and miraculous. When this happens, we don't have any doubt in the meditation object anymore. We see that all meditation objects are for the sake of peace and collectedness. Once the mind is peaceful and still, then the mind thinks once again. One can see a dead person in front of oneself and can know that there's no one there who's died. But then the mind starts to proliferate that they're this person or that person, with this or that uh, job or name. But wisdom knows that in truth there's no one there. It's not, there's no name or self there. There's no one there, it's just the natural elements. So wisdom knows that. Knowing arises, clarity arises. The mind is bright and radiant. And the mind feels incredibly full and happy. And after this type of experience, one can see everybody walking about and see that really there's no one there at all. It's something that we've read in the suttas, the text before, that the body is just the body. There's no me or mine, you or yours, no self. We can ask, well, do we understand that teaching? We can say, yes, we understand it, but not deeply. Because having practiced gives rise to bhavana, maya, panya, or the wisdom that arises through mental cultivation. And this is a clear knowing. Knowing arises that, no, it's not actually like that. It's like this. It's not self, not me or mine, you or yours. And it's all a convention. There's no one there. No me or mine, you or yours. It's all not self. One sees that everything in the world is empty. And this is the mind that's moving towards Lokutara, moving above and beyond the world. And the mind going beyond the world or above the world is a mind that is above all sense impressions above all moods and sense impressions, above all aramanas. And we see that the noble ones, they don't waver in the face of any sense impression. Just like in nature, we see mountains, they're very firm, stable and strong. The mind is unwavering in just the same way. So we should feel proud, we have this very good fortune have been born as humans and have met with the teachings of the Buddha. So the Buddha taught that it's like a tree in the rainy season that gives rise to green leaves and flowers and it's beautiful. And the teachings of the Buddha are beautiful like that. It's a comparison to nature. So one with merit will study the Dhamma of the Lord Buddha so what I'm teaching here now, it's not my teachings, not my Dhamma. It's the Dhamma of the Lord Buddha. 
So we practice and train in it. We practice and train in generosity, virtue and meditation. We cultivate spiritual virtues, cultivate parami like this. We make effort to do it, effort to practice generosity and virtue, to do meditation. We practice and train and we may not realize complete freedom from suffering right away, but we cultivate our parami, our spiritual virtues. We train the mind to be still and collected in samadhi in order for wisdom to arise. And we take care of the mind so that the mind has less suffering, less suffering in the living of our lives. We can have, may have the wish for samadhi, for jhana, which is all for the sake of wisdom, for the sake of the paths and fruits of nibbana. So we come here to meditate, to cultivate the mind, to train the heart. So firstly, we patiently endure. It's the first step in our practice. And we keep going for one year, three years, five years, ten years. And the benefits, the fruits of practice that we get in that time are truly great, truly enormous. So if the mind is very agitated and troubled, we keep setting our hearts on the practice and in no long time we will meet with success. So may you have effort and perseverance in this. May you practice to give rise to wisdom. And at the least you can understand the Dhamma and see the Dhamma and see everything as impermanent suffering and not self. So may you all grow in blessings. <laughs>